Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to Bright Lights. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Lacey Johnson. Uh, this is our weekly uh, journey into the world of achievement. And we bring you achievers in all fields of human endeavors. Uh, our main focus is business, families, and ideas. And what I like about ideas, you can have ideas on any subject. And that gives me some flexibility to bring on all kinds of guests and talk about all types of things. Uh, we've been having very beautiful weather here, almost perfect an idea here in Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis for the past few days here. So it's been getting out and doing things with my grandson and family. Uh, just another blessed day in the hood. Uh, not that everything uh, goes according to plan or you don't have issues and some of them are pretty tough. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think if you have the tools to deal with life and things that comes your way, which, uh, as I stress quite often, uh, the people that raised me and put a foundation of faith in me, uh, I think, uh, armed me with the capabilities of dealing with anything in life. Uh, tonight, uh, we have a guest, uh, Tiffany Flynn Forslund, and we're going to be focusing on education. Uh, Tiffany is... Uh, part of the Minnesota Education Coalition. I think I got Parents Union. I think I have that right. And they've been fighting for some issues in education as to relate to our community and um, people of color and disadvantaged and poor people. So we're going to talk about that a little bit and other issues of the day, uh, including, uh, you know, the latest on the defunding of the police. Uh, I ask that, that you go to my website, uh, Lacey Johnson dot com and subscribe and support and there's a few souvenirs out there and uh, uh help support this podcast because we are genuine and we're serious and uh we're really in this to try to help people and help establish dialogue and hopefully oh boy it's, it's a tough order start bringing people together i mean we're just so divided and uh I just never thought I'd see the day when this country be this divided, but you know, the media is playing a role in that too. And some of it's intentionally, some of it was just natural biases and things. I usually lead the podcast off with things that's happened this week. Uh, well, at least since the last time we've been on, uh, I had a national appearance on Fox news where we talked about uh, the whole issue of, of a Minnesota Freedom Fund bailout, and we talked about the $40 million or so that they've gotten in and how they're bailing out uh, potential criminals. Now, I have to say, look, I, I'm a big believer in the Constitution and Bill of Rights, and various amendments, 6th, 4th, 8th, I think it is, uh, talk about the presumption of innocent, uh, and I'm presuming people are innocent, and we all deserve to be bailed out. However, there's a context to everything we do and there's pros and cons and there's trade-offs and a couple of things along those lines. First of all, and I told this story uh, 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 on Fox, look, uh, and you've heard me talk about my neighbor's son who was killed, 25-year-old young man, a lot of things going for him, trying to live right, do all the great things, a lot of potential. Uh, my neighbors, their son was murdered. And long story short there, uh, this past week, I understand they arrested. Uh, so they arrested six suspects and two of those six suspects had been bailed out 
from uh, an organization like, if not the Minnesota Freedom Fund, an organization like that. And basically what they're doing without thinking is uh, letting a lot of these people back out to commit more crimes and, and including murder, uh, the sexual assaults and things like that. Uh, with the whole idea of these poor, pitiful people, we got to bail them out and they can't afford it. And let me just say this, and I'm going to try to be very brief. Uh, the people that raised me, they didn't have a bailout mentality. We had a saying, you made your bed, lie in it. And most of the cases, they wouldn't bail you out, and that'll teach you the next time. And what I cannot understand, and I'm, I'm quite sure there are different type of, of people that's uh, being bailed out, but what I don't understand is that if you got a family and you have children and you sit down and think that, you know what, I'm taking a risk going down here or wherever you're going or doing whatever you're doing. I'm taking a risk of being arrested. And I know that I don't have money to bail myself out. I think a person like that should think twice. And so I'm just not from a bailout mentality. Uh, you make a decision, you live with it. And I think they're harming us. In a, uh, well, no, I don't think so. I know they're harming our community with a lot of this bailout mentality. So that's all I'm going to say about that right now. Uh, another issue is this whole defund the police. And, and like I keep telling people, they're never going to give up on that idea. And you got to know who you're dealing with here. And they might backtrack, retreat. They might try to use different words to define and reimagine and all those kind of silly things that they think they can use to fool people. Well, one of the things that happened uh, this week, well, been happening the past few weeks, the people who for this defund uh, the policemen, it's on the ballot, is they're trying to get it on the ballot. And they're trying to play games with words, which is normally what they do. And I encourage everyone to go out and, and read George Orwell. Uh, a little treatise on uh, language and politics. They're always playing games with words and things like that. And basically what they're trying to do is put that issue on the ballot, word it in such a way that people don't understand their real intentions and get it passed and go ahead and defund the police. Now, uh, God is still in charge. Uh, we are blessed that the judge, and I don't even know the per judge personally, but the judge is not letting them get away with it. You know, they keep trying to uh, try little crazy things. And this is what's going on uh, down at that insane asylum I call City Hall, uh, where the inmates are in charge from the mayor and especially the city council. And there's a few exceptions to this. These people are basically crazy. I'm sorry. I don't know any other way to put it. I have some of my hardcore uh, longtime Democrat friends who use even worse words than that because they realize that this is not for our community. And we're seeing a lot of crime going on. And the last thing I'm going to do, and one of the points I make to everyone, look, I live in this community. And when we start talking about a lot of these issues, whether it's education, crime, or whatever, this is not some type of partisan debate for me. This is not some type of philosophical discussion. It's not some type of dining room type of dialogue. This is real life and death to me. And I know most of the people, a lot of people that's affected by it. And the latest example is uh, yesterday, uh, I understand someone was uh, murdered on the freeway here in Minneapolis. Uh, long story short there, he and I shared the same barber. And so I'm normally zero or one degree separated from a lot of these people being affected by this. 
And one of the reasons I'm out here trying to do what I'm, I'm doing, rather than getting up and enjoying coffee every morning and relaxing and traveling and things like that, because I'm trying to make a difference in the lives of these people and do something about a lot of these issues that's been going on for the past 40 years. So having said that, uh, I'm going to bring on our guest, uh, Miss uh, Tiffany Flynn Forslin. Uh, Tiffany, welcome to Bright Lights. How are you Hello. doing this evening? I am good. How are you? I'm very well. You know, Wednesdays are normally long days for me. I hardly ever sleep past four or five o'clock in the morning. So I, by the time it gets this time of day, uh, I'm winding down a little bit. But here's the thing, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the cause and the motives and what we're trying to achieve give me energy and allow me to do this. So I understand that you've uh, been involved in education uh, quite a bit. We're going to talk about that, the Minnesota Parents Union and those type of things. But before we go there, Tiffany, uh, well, let me just tell our audience, Tiffany, uh, from my understanding, is a single mom of three. Uh, she lives in St. Paul, I think the Frogtown neighborhood. And those who locally here, you, we know about Frogtown Frog neighborhood. And uh, she has overcome uh, many challenges and obstacles in life. And uh, those are the type of people I like to have on this podcast because that's what we're about. And I don't know about anyone else in the audience. Challenges and obstacles never intimidated me. I never used them as a reason or an excuse for not achieving my goals. I think it depends on me and the choices I make. Uh, it doesn't depend on the world. It doesn't depend on my enemies. It really depends on me and God. And that's my approach to it. And whenever I can find someone like Tiffany who has overcome these type of obstacles, we like to hear from her. So before we get into the challenges and adversity that you've uh, run into in life, Tiffany, why don't you give us a little bit about uh, your, I call your biography, where you're born and raised and, you know, family, some of the childhood influences uh, that help uh, you continue on uh, through the storm uh, to get where you are uh, today. Well, I was born to a 17-year-old white mother and uh, my dad, I think, was maybe seven years older a black man, and they met in jail. Uh, she, her family had kind of been dysfunctional. Uh, she had a Catholic upbringing, but her parents had got divorced. And she had been going, back then they put you in like juvenile homes. Mm -hmm. And so she was able to marry him and not have to go back into these. Uh, the one place she had been in was in Oregon, Wisconsin. And so by marrying him, she didn't have to do that. Okay. Now, you mentioned that they met in jail. And the first thing that came to my mind and is that I didn't know they had co-ed jails, Tiffany. So explain to me how they would meet in jail. And I, was, I think you clarified she was in a juvenile home. But, you know, how do some two people, a man and a woman who's in the legal system and incarcerated, happen to meet? quote unquote, in jail. And the only thing I can attribute to that, it was a very small town I grew up in, 36,000 people. Uh, it was 
um, created on the Rock River from actually Native Americans and fur trading. And a lot of those symbols are there, but there's no longer Native Americans there, of course, because they got rid of them. And then um, it had the Beloit Corp was there in Beloit, Wisconsin for World War II weapons. So that built up the black population there from the South um, when they within that 1930s like migration. Oh, okay. And then you said this is Beloit, Wisconsin. Yes, very okay. blue collar and very racist city. <laughs> uh, it's on the border, if I recall correctly, of uh, Illinois. It's pretty close to the Illinois border, and I also know that Beloit has a liberal arts college there beloit college and, and and you know people in our audience would be amazed at co these little small liberal art colleges that we've never heard of that your tuition is sixty thousand dollars a year or something like that and all right. the rich people afford it okay well thanks for that let's talk a little bit about uh your current family situation and uh, I, I know that you ran into some challenges but Right now, you're sitting here, a proud mom of three children. Uh, we talked about Frogtown. Tell us about some of the challenges and adversities as a mom of three children and struggling. And I do know, and we'll talk about that shortly, that you went on to get your college education and everything. And this is what I like to hear. Uh, tell us about the challenges and adversity. How how did you overcome them? Your attitudes and 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 what drove you to, in spite of all of that, succeed and and achieve? Yes. Well, I uh, got out of of an abusive marriage. I went right into school. Um, although, even though it was it was not economical with three kids to be trying to get my education. I did. Um, I have a lovely school loan debt that's crazy, but it allowed me to go to school and give my children the proper education because I knew how important education is. Uh, I had to, um, my ex was very bitter and like I said, abusive. So there was no help there and i basically i had to parent on his parenting um if i wanted to make sure my kids were okay so that was very um hard uh but i i don't being born with the skin color i don't know anything but to fight and struggle and keep going um because there was many having a white mom i was in many uh, places of privilege, and that was not afforded to me due to the color of my skin. But my mom never gave me those terms. Mm -hmm. So all I knew was uh, roadblock, try something else. Roadblock, try something else. Roadblock, try something else. And um, it wasn't until Hennepin County, due to my ex's manipulation, they deemed me white so that my ex had more access to my children because that's one of the 13 best interests of the children. And that was a huge wake up call to 
all of the racism I had hid or suppressed, it all came up going all the way back to third grade when there was a little women reading. We are doing little women. I was in the smart row with these four other little white girls. And um, and, I, and that was the saving grace. My intellect is a saving grace for me. And But as they're all my friends, they say, oh, you can be the, the black maid in there. And that was my first pit in my stomach. Um, you know, third grade is like the age of reason. And that moment came back to me realizing, oh, that is racism. Then everything else started to come, being looked at as a shoplifter. Um, high school, my friend got a job at Dairy Queen and she was getting all of her friends hired. Every friend was hired except me. Um, and I didn't really understand that or know that at the time, but that you know realization came to me later. So when I moved to Minnesota, as a single mom now with my kids, over the phone, A.G. Edwards said, oh, you have this position um, based on my voice and my name, which is Irish Swedish. Mm -hmm. And when I came in for the interview, this job then was no longer there. So those kind of things, then, then you have to regroup. So then I went back to school. Then I'm dealing more um, just much lower economic than I need to be. And it just makes it harder. Right. Um, so I did have eight years of therapy. Um, schools and academics are very easy for me. Um, I got into the urban teaching program at Metro State. And that, well, first I did Reading Corps. Let me, first I did Reading Corps. Reading Corps has all this community service in it. I did the Martin Luther King March, um, lots of speakers, Andre Cohen spoke, uh, that those things helped me. Then I got in the urban teaching program and I started um, learning the real history. So taking and reflecting my past, um, my present and everything going on around me, that was my toughest learning getting rid of that societal bias we're born with. Right. And so that was, that was, you know, so I, I did, I did a lot of work on myself um, and got very creative being on government assistance, um, figuring out how to make money, uh, have my own business, uh, graduate my children, be at all the sports games. I mean, I, I rode my bike in the rain to my daughter's volleyball. We walked five five miles once with my kids and my daughter in her hockey bag. And if your kids play hockey, you know how heavy those bags are. <laughs> and so everything I did, they did with me. And if anything, hopefully they got some strength from it because I learned no matter what you show up. Right. Well, you have touched on quite a few things there. Well, first and foremost, <laughs> uh, I tell everyone in a lot of these disadvantaged communities, we just do not give women enough credit for what they're doing. And I'm just straight and upfront. And many of the black communities, the women are the ones, they're the glue that's holding everything together. And uh, 
Did we lose Tiffany? They're the glue that's holding everything together. And so I really admire your, I'll just say for now, your tenacity. And because that's what it takes. Now, as we go along and talk about these different issues, I, I, I guess I should uh, let you know something up front. Uh, I'm a Southern boy from Mississippi, and I grew up during the Jim Crow era. But here's the thing, Tiffany, and, and it wasn't easy for us either. But uh, my parents and the people that teachers, uh, deacons or whoever that raised me, they never talked to me about racism. And people think you're from down south and that you encountered a lot of it, but I didn't encounter that much of it either. And so I try to always keep that in mind that people have gone through a lot of experiences that I did not go through. And like you, I was, I was always a pretty smart kid too. And I try to bring some things to the table. So uh, even now when I talk to young uh, African-American uh, children, uh, youth, I don't bring up racism unless they bring it up because I was raised to think it's all about you, that there's the world is full of all kinds of bad people and bad things and it's unfair. And I was never allowed to focus or think about that. I was always uh, taught to focus on being just the best person you can be, keep God in your life and everything is going to be fine. And I know that sometimes bad things happen to people. So uh, when we're talking and dialoguing here, keep that in mind that I just have a totally different, I don't, you know, really, I don't, what other people do really does. It's never really mattered to me. And, but that's the way I was raised. A uh, couple, one thing that you did touch on is an abusive relationship. And once again, uh, we do try to share with our audience other people's experiences and how they overcome. Uh, how did you overcome the abusive relationship? And what would you say to you, uh, ladies right now who may be in abusive relationships and how to go about uh, establishing and achieving goals in life and getting out of that situation? What advice would you have for uh, people in our audience, uh, young women, uh, old women, period, in our audience uh, who, are, who are in that particular situation? The number one thing you can do is succeed. <laughs> Work on yourself. And that's the um, number one, like, because I'm not, I'm not on tit for tat or, or payback. I don't believe mm -hmm. in that. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people would say um, things were going to happen not on my time, but in time. And as I learned government, as I learned political positions, as I um, I did a 2008 was the recession of when I got my undergrad. So there was no jobs. I just um, took advantage of all free trainings and things that I could do. I did uh, virtus facilitations for the archdiocese into groups of 50 and 300 people. I like, I like, I've always liked public speaking. I did, uh, I was in Brooklyn Park then. I did their 12 week citizens Academy to learn how the police department worked. I did the guardian ad litem program, which was an extensive program, master's program. Um, or I think 12 week. So I was sworn in as a guardian ad litem through Hennepin County. I just really learned how things work learn to connect, reflect. And as we're in the same space, same same kind of community, 
I would get things published, articles published, or my name in the newspaper, or I'd be presenting and my ex would be there or somebody would say, hey, do you know this Forslin? And so without purposely doing it, I had growth and there's he couldn't do anything to me well uh you hit on a couple more things there besides your tenacity uh knowledge i say knowledge slash education and work and i tell everyone whenever i hear someone talking about addressing issues in our community and the word work does not come up i don't have much patience with them or the word education and knowledge does not come up I do not have much patience with them. If the words wealth uh, doesn't come up in choices, there's certain things that, and God too, to be honest with me, uh, and uh, we have so many people out there, I say pretending to be helping us and be our friends, and they never, ever bring up those type uh, 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 words when they're talking about addressing our issues. The second part of that is, is that once again, I was taught self-responsibility and self-accountability. And what I worry about in a lot of the things that's going on in our community right now, and a lot of the discussion and solution that they're putting forth there, is that they're not asking our community to do anything. Just keep doing what you're doing and we're gonna change the world and make the world better. We're gonna change everything and you're okay. And once again, based upon my uh, upbringing, I don't like that. And I'm concerned that at the end of the day, when we buy into all the things that they are talking about, the people who pretend like they care about our community, we're still going to have a net worth of basically $14,000 per person. We're still not going to be uneducated. Uh, our families are still going to be uh, destroyed and, and, and needing rebuilding. And we still, and this is not for everybody, but we still does not appreciate the importance of living a spiritual life. And I'm thinking that, you know, anybody who's selling you solutions and act, uh, pretending like the world is going to change and that's the solution to all your issues, I just don't like it. I never support it. And I just remember the uh, staple uh, singer song that talks about walking around thinking like the world owe you something because you're here. And I think that's a lot of us, what we're doing right now, and we're not accepting responsibility and accountability for, for what's happening to us. But we'll move on. Let's talk a little bit about your uh, education. Uh, I understand you got a BA in child development from Concordia University. Uh, why did you decide to uh, major in child development, Tiffany? Well, that's, that's okay. So that's funny. So it was... Um... It was a little under my intellect at the time, but I was going through custody battle with my ex. So that was my reason why I, I did decide on it. Cause um, at first, oh my goodness, I was like, this is too easy. This is, <laughs> didn't even feel like school at first. And I, um, <clears throat> The one thing that that is a downfall for me is that I love to learn. I love to read. I love so many things. I love to try so many things. So it's very hard to me to hone in on one. Um, so 
I did do the child development. I did the two-year program in one year. And um, then I went, so then I got into Concordia. Then I had gone to school in many different places. So it was nice to pull all those credits in one place. So, you know, I started solidifying myself. And um, so I so I started out with an Associates of Science in Early Childhood Education. So I have that. Then I got my bachelor's in child development. And there was a moment I didn't know long-term goals. There was a moment I wanted to quit. I was so like, my brain was quit, quit, quit. And all I could think of, my, my going piece was John F. Kennedy Jr. How many times he failed the bar exam mm. But he kept going and, it, and he didn't even want to be an attorney, but he had a legacy. He ended up doing that magazine. Um, but that was what kept me going. And I did not quit. And I got that bachelor's. And that was a huge step for me to understand a long-term goal in succeeding. Oh, wow. What, what a great story. It's inspirational. Let's talk a little about your career. And I know you've done some things. You've worked in the stock market and finance. You were a family service worker. Uh, I understand you were a candidate for Congress in uh, CD4 in St. Paul. Uh, and you're currently doing substitute teaching, which uh, that must be a challenge. Are you back in the classroom yet? Uh, is there a plan I to get you back in the classroom, by the way? Or is this, well, <laughs> well I'll let you answer so that I, one first. So and then I got another curious question. Right. So uh, I was, I was, I taught, I went to um, Friendship Academy teaching social studies and science to middle school. Mm -hmm. um, I got to drop my own curriculum. Um, oh, did I? It's, it's amazing. You know, I hadn't had science in so long, but it all came back to me. And I just love science. I love teaching the kids. And but then, you know, and I don't know who might get upset. I don't know. But at this stage of the game, the mm -hmm. amount to put into teaching when you want your kids to succeed is an unsurmountable amount of time to the money that you are earning. Okay. And I have so many, like, I love being political. I love being in the community. When you're in that classroom, like, I'd love to be Mrs. Frizzle, take all those kids with me on my journeys, but, you know, you can't. And so uh, I asked, I'm still at friendship, but I asked not to be in the classroom. Okay. Just because I want to have some freedom. Now, Friendship Academy, uh, is that uh, the charter school we're talking about here? Yes, they okay. are. Okay, and, and uh, it's uh, uh, overseen by Friendship Baptist Church, I think it is, and it's over south, right? Yes. And is that uh, the Reverend Billy Russell's church? Yes, it okay. is. Okay. His son, Dr. Chavez Russell, is our executive director. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, I know Billy and... Uh, I think he's original from Mississippi also. So yeah. you guys have been, in, been around for a long time. And to that, my birth father was born in Mississippi. So Noxubee County, Meridian, Mississippi, oh, yeah. okay. where yeah. my birth father is from. Meridian used to be the second largest city in Mississippi. I think it still is. Uh, so that is a lot of great information. Let's talk about, I think... Uh, I heard uh, that you are involved with the Minnesota Parent Union, which is uh, concerned about 
issues in education. Oh, by the way, and before, just before we go on, I did start up a charter school, and, and we can have some good uh, conversation on education after a while. I'm very familiar with the current system, and we're going to get into that in a little bit, and uh, what I see is going on wrong there, and I'm going to be up front, too. Uh, uh, there are certain children in, uh, that I don't think educators will ever figure out how to educate. And, uh, uh, and, and if I had to pick one uh, aspect of it is that children where their parents are not involved, I think educators uh, kind of from disadvantaged communities, communities of color, uh, where they don't understand the, the, the community, they don't understand the children, they don't understand the choices they make, they don't understand the, the issues that they have to overcome, they don't respect the intelligence of the kids, they want to make it easy for them, uh, they want to lower the bar, and I want you to know I'm not about to lower the bar anywhere or in any situation, I'm always about raising the bar, and so uh, we'll talk some more about that. Uh, so as uh, involvement with the Minnesota Parent Union, why don't you tell me, uh, uh, our audience, a little bit about that and what they're trying to achieve in your experience with that organization? Well, I, so when Rashad Turner, he ran for the legislature and mm -hmm. I was his, um, oh my goodness, I was his, uh, what's that called when you're the campaign, uh, campaign manager? Mm -hmm. I was his campaign manager. And um, so that's where we formulated our relationship. And he is now the executive director of our Minnesota Parent Union. And I got into ed reform back in 2011 when my fifth grade daughter had this teacher that I'd never seen a teacher this good in my upbringing in the public school system and with any of my three children. And because of uh, last in, first out, and tenure, this teacher was let go as a first-year teacher in the Anoka Hennepin School District. And he had seven years' experience, I think, over in Eden Prairie or something like that. And so I didn't understand it. So I wrote a letter to the um, MDE. I wrote a letter to the school board. Uh, I went, wrote a letter to the legislature. I was trying to understand if... I thought education was about community. I really didn't understand that bureaucracy piece. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I learned a big lesson. And then <laughs> yeah. at that time, Michelle Ree had just done her reorganization in DC and it was coming to Minnesota. So I became a heavy hitter in Students First. And the last in first out bill went to the House and the Senate it passed unanimously because it made sense, but Educate Minnesota has way too much money and power that mm -hmm. um, Governor Dayton was very upset and he vetoed the bill. So it didn't it didn't go in with the Omnis bill uh, with the U.S. Bank Stadium. So since then, that got me in education reform. I've been um, I actually have a lawsuit, Forslund versus Minnesota. Um, it had we had three points. And we won two points on education, but we didn't win the last in first out. And that brings me to Minnesota Parent Union. Uh, we are about education reform, uh, policy, uh, 
I'm trying to think what of our main pieces are. We like I'm a family advocate. We advise families on advocacy strength. A lot of times um, parents don't know how to stand up for their children within the school system. Mm-hmm. And um, in the Page Amendment. So Minnesota oh, yeah. okay. um, is pushing the Page Amendment. We'll be at the legislature um, trying to get that passed. And there's an article that came out that if the Page Amendment actually passes, Forza versus Minnesota might be heading back to the courts um, okay. for that opinion to be changed. Yeah. That's all good stuff. Let's, uh, you touched on a few things there. First of all, Educate Minnesota, if I understand it and recall correctly, that's the teachers union, right? Correct. So uh, we have a governor who put the head of the teachers union in charge of the Minnesota Department of Education. And once again, and we'll talk some more. I think I know education a little bit. Uh, (laughs) When I saw that, because I'm just going to be upfront with you and the audience. I think a big problem is the teachers union. I think a big problem that their big problem in the education achievement gap, that until we get them out of the picture, it's not going to go away. Uh, how do you feel about that? And how do uh, Minnesota parents union feel about uh, the teachers union and their role in, uh, shall I say, being an obstacle to the education of our children? And yes, so our first um, rally or protest that we did is we did go meet at the Capitol and we went and stood in front of Educate Minnesota building um, with a press to to alert the community to what the union is doing, how it's hurting education versus helping it. Right. it sometimes it, it feels like it's, it's securing a job versus educating a child. Yeah, and I and keep in mind, uh, I got involved in starting up a charter school uh, coming from the corporate world where it's very competitive and people don't sit around and uh, make excuses and stuff. You do whatever you have to do. Uh, if you don't get it done, somebody else is waiting, 10 other people is waiting there to get it done. Uh, and just the mindset of, uh, people in education uh and one of my pet peeves was uh and we had a great set of teachers by the way uh uh we started uh charter school in the inner city uh, i'd say 99 percent uh young uh what they call at risk i don't like that uh phrase so uh, black children and uh we happened and we set out with a goal of having a very diverse mostly african-american staff and we ended up with like a staff that was 75% uh, young white females who had recently graduated, but they were great though. I mean, I, I have to give them, but they had proper leadership and I saw the money and the time and effort that they put in. Uh, but uh, we saw that the teachers union was really standing in the way. What are some of the things that uh, the Minnesota parent union, uh, what are some of the reforms and things that you're, uh advocating for uh to get to uh to improve the education uh of our young people here well we we did try to get um cable for all uh, we were out in front of com in front of comcast um because uh if you don't have money you can't afford internet how are you supposed to do your homework 
we are going, we're, I believe we're going to be challenging some of the CD, is it CDC that Minneapolis public schools are doing? Uh -huh. um, they had this whole, I went to some of those meetings. They're supposed to diversify. Like, I don't know how you force diversification. Uh, it's not going to work in my mind. Uh, they were acting like they were going to have uh, families of privilege enrolling their kids in Bethune. That was not ever going to happen. Um, and I just talked to a parent. Um, she's a nurse. She works at Barton. And she said last year that school had a high Somali enrollment. And now it is um, not like 95% white. So where did, where was the diversification? And then she said right. those Somali families are at Bethune. Right, right. Well, a couple of things, and I, I keep interjecting my own personal experience because I think it's appropriate here. Uh, I, I still have forgiven uh, my public school system for desegregating the schools. Uh, when I was in high school, I think we had a great school. I think, and to be honest, just to be a, a, a hundred, as they say, I think the white kids should have been suing to come to our school. And so I'm still disappointed. And, and what happens, and I see it in education, I see what's going on now. Everywhere I look, when we address these issues, we're not getting to the root causes of them. We, we're coming up with these Band-Aid solutions. And I, this is where I'm going with uh, desegregation and forced busing. Look, the real issue was not the schools. The real issue was you didn't have segre uh, desegregated communities, integrated communities. And it sounds like to me that that's a lot of what's going on right now. If, if you have uh, 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 diverse communities and the people are going to, the children are going to the schools in their uh, community, that's to me is the solution. Uh, when you're trying to, all these tricks of sending the kids out of their community to these other places to try to guarantee it, uh, I think you run into issues like that. And somewhere down the line, I think, and a lot of it, uh, uh, well, I'm in, uh, I advocate for uh, business development and economics. I call it uh, financial rights. Uh, and I think if we do that, I think if we really, really get serious about educating our children, and I will tell you about some of the young people, young children that K through two that we brought into our schools. Uh, that no one else wanted, who at the end of the year was performing 85% tile nationally. Uh, and I know they can do it. And so I, 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 I'm not in favor of these trumped up type of solutions. We, we're avoiding the issues. And, and I go back to what I talked about earlier. A lot of these things that we're doing nowadays as in response to George Floyd and social justice and, uh, and talking about white privilege and all that, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, at the end of the day, when we look back 10, 20, 30 years from now, uh, these communities are going to still be poor without wealth. If we keep going the way we're going, they're going to still be undereducated. Their families are going to still be uh, 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 torn apart. And we're still not going to have any type of spiritual foundation to what we're doing and I'm on record to saying until we address those things, everything else to me is just, you know, it's just band-aids on, on the issue. And the problem I have with a lot of people who pretend that they're on our side, uh, they're 
uh, are not addressing the economic issues. Even, and I read the definition of social justice where people are going to redistribute wealth. Well, heck, I don't want you to redistribute wealth. I want you to empower me. Well, you don't need to empower me. Just get out of my way uh, so I can create my own wealth. And so those are the type of things. And as we go along and discuss these issues, you'll find out that's my perspective on this. And one of the reasons I got involved and I'm out here because I keep I was sitting around, keep listening for the last 30 years or so of people talking about these issues. These issues keep going on and we just have the wrong approach to them. And if we're well, I'll just say it like this. We'll move on. Malcolm X had a saying that says everybody that's friendly to you is not your friend. And I think we confuse those things sometimes that people who are friendly to us, we think they're our friends and when they're really not and they're taking advantage of us. So let's talk a little bit more about this achievement gap. Uh, and by the way, I had a, a, a person well-respected within the black community to tell me there's no such thing as an achievement gap. And one again, it's one of those wordplay things and they think they can use different words and the problem go away. And, and it has worked, by the way. Uh, what do you think is some of the uh, things we need to do to close the achievement gap? Because I believe that it's not really an achievement gap in education. This is an achievement gap in life. Uh, and I really respect your approach to knowledge. But what are some of the things that we should be looking at doing uh, to close the achievement gaps among our children? Well, a big piece, um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the One Minneapolis report that came out a few years ago, and it really equated the data to housing, employment, and education for people of color or economic status. And if you can't get those pieces in check, it's gonna be very hard to succeed, I think that's one of the things plaguing the schools. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, not having enough teachers in uh, staffs and role models of color, I think that's another big piece. Um, when you can, they don't understand, privilege doesn't understand. If As a student of color, granted it's supposed to be the opportunity gap and, and you're supposed to put yourself in certain places and then they then they look at the behavior and then start um, judging the kids by behavior. But when you look at a student, they're not they're not dumb kids, right. and they see the power structure. What do they have to get educated for if there's not an opportunity? Right. And so um, there's a lot of pieces at play. Mm -hmm. um, we talk about wraparound schools. Um, I'm in agreement with that. Um, get parents in the schools, um, have a computer. They can let them know about resources. I am in favor of that. Um, education does have to be a priority. Um, I feel COVID kind of gave this to me when you had to teach online. Uh -huh. you, you lost that classroom culture. I really felt what what it what it alerted to me is you get all these kids that have all these other traumas so education isn't seem that it's that important okay. and you put all that in a building whoa that building wants to combust and you go to work you feel that every day um and so how do we turn it around 
I do my best to motivate. I do my best to role model. Um, I think if they see it can happen, they will come. But if they're sitting in environments, which I've subbed in the public school system, I've seen a dean sit by a student who didn't like her teacher, but she had to sit there, not do work, and be disgruntled. That kind of thing is ridiculous to me. I believe as a teacher, it's your professionalism. You should make sure you have a relationship with every student so that they are learning at their best. There's just so many disconnects. Right. And right. and when I did I did a paper uh, 2008 is the first time I could find the data uh -huh. showing the inconsistencies and in the educational gap. And it's 2021. Right. And it got worse. I think last year the data got worse. Right. So so um, whatever they think they're doing or it, it's not working. Right. So. And once again, I've said it before, steel sharpens steel. And so I think we need to have these type of dialogues and we don't need to just go along to get along. We have to have some tough conversation on these issues. And this is where I'm going. Uh, I don't care about privilege, to be honest with you. Uh, I think it's we are empowered to make system work for us. We need to do what we need to do. And people can have all the privilege they want, but if we start, well, first of all, we need to understand the issue ourselves and we need to have our own solutions and we need to come together and put pressure on whatever system it is, whatever organization it is. And when I say pressure, give them uh, a choice. You can do this and get achieve this and, and you can get our support. So I think a lot of it is just us not doing what we're supposed to do. And if we really understood the system and how it worked, the fact that they have privilege really doesn't, doesn't matter to me. And that's been my experiences in life. I don't care what kind of privilege you got. It comes down to uh, input, process, output. Uh, and if you do this, this is what I'm going to do. If you do this, this is what I'm going to do. And look at it from an empowerment standpoint. The problem I have with a lot of the stuff, privilege and everything, it seems like we don't feel empowered. It feels like we don't, aren't in control of our own destiny. And it almost feels like we don't have the faith and confidence in ourselves. Uh, I don't care what the institution is and who's in power. There's certain things that motivate them. And once we understand that, do what it does. And, and so uh, I don't want to get too much into that. But and let me just wrap it up and just touch on a few things that I've come about. And I've been in a lot of these schools also. Uh, first and foremost, and I served on a charter school advisory board and they'd come in and tell me about the latest studies in the education and curriculum and, and all that kind of stuff. But really, I wasn't paying attention to that. What I pay attention to is what uh, I try to uh, stress in myself, your perspective on things, your attitude and your reaction, because the world is they say there's nothing new under the sun. And so we just have to know how we do this. And what, what I'm getting to is that, look, first and foremost, uh, excuses. I don't want to hear any excuses or explanation why you're not getting results. And we've come to the point where, and I've worked in a field where we didn't deal with excuses, engineering and stuff, and you can't explain that away. We've gotten to the point that we let people talk us out of uh, holding them accountable. 
And so I, I don't like that. So even in education, I don't want to hear that uh, we're not educating your children because your parents are involved. I don't want to hear you we're, edu we're not educating your children because they're poor or from their some single parent. I don't want to hear any of that. All I want to hear is that you've educated our children. Anything less than that, to me, I'm going to come to the conclusion that you don't know what you're doing. I don't care how many degrees you have in education, PhDs, and how many years you've been teaching. So, first of all, just the attitude. We're going to educate these children, period. I don't want to hear anything else. Secondly, some of the things I see is just the attitude towards our children. I mean, I have actually sit in meetings at the Minnesota Department of Education. And to me, they're asking silly question is, like, what kind of standards are we going to have for these inner city kids? Same standards that you have for everyone else. And and I could go on forever, but I'll just deal with another thing, discipline. I've just been in too many schools where not only don't they understand the children, they're afraid of the students. And you cannot discipline children uh, when you're afraid of them. And I know nowadays in this generation, discipline is not that thing and everybody do what they want. So that's my soapbox talk on that. Uh, let's talk about one other thing that's been in the news recently with education. Uh, Critical race theory. Uh, how do you stand on that, uh, Tiffany? Well, uh, I just seen, uh, let's see, two people I seen. I saw the one woman from Detroit mm -hmm. uh, that got everybody kind of uh, uprising over her words. And then I just seen this other gentleman just the other day. And so I don't know how much I'm, I'm there um, I mean, I just want to go back to how I use privilege and what you said. Mm -hmm. right. um, I was teaching my fifth grade class, all students, African-American, descendant of slaves. And um, I oh, I was teaching Mahmoud's book, uh, Professor Mahmoud, love him. Um, and we were equating Kaepernick uh to baldwin message is kind of the same and mm -hmm. that was kind of because i hate i hate the black white piece and so we were deciphering and coming up with our own terms and that was where we kind of what we got to was calling it people of privilege kind of knock out the color piece uh in into in in equated in terms that was more general talking change of vocabulary Right, right. Um, and then as far as, um, what did you ask me again? <laughs> uh, what, what, what do you feel about critical race theory and the fact that they're pushing that in a lot of uh, school districts across the country? And I, I listen, okay, so I listen, I have to hear, I have to analyze, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if I'm a strong proponent. Um, I know with my personal journey, I'm sure I was a piece of that. 14 years working in the stock brokerage industry, mm -hmm. I was probably more in that frame of mind. Okay. Uh, it was it was really 34 getting divorced when a different reality hit me. And now I'm more social justice. Uh, my heart is more in those places. So I'm that, you know, I don't know. I'm not in complete disagreement. Mm -hmm. I feel you work hard. You can get it. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I, I've always lived by that. Where there's a will, there's a way. Right. Uh, um, look at Tiger Woods from a baby. Right. Uh, the tennis players from a baby. Hard work pays off. Never give up. You know, so, so while I don't know how much I'm in that camp, um, I, I feel there's bigger pieces. If you look at the, the healing journey, 400 years of slavery, trauma, technically we got to go 400 years before we're to some sort of a different um, culture of being. You bring up a good point. Boy, we could talk some more. We'll we have a follow-up here. Uh, you talked about the 400 years of slavery, but, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like uh, your personal experience with the domestic abuse. If you focus on that rather than what's in front of you and what you're trying to achieve, if you're not careful, it can negatively impact impact your ability to achieve and you know when I talk to people I give the example of uh, you're here in Minneapolis and you got a, uh, another city you want to let's pick Kansas City uh, you should focus on where you're trying to go to and when you are looking back 400 years to me uh, you're spending time looking out the rear the back window of your car rather than straight ahead and thinking about where you're trying to go to. Not that you don't, you shouldn't sometime. And not that every once in a while you should not look in the rear of your mirror. But my thing is, make sure your car is work in working order. Make sure you got gas money. And focus on where you're going, not where you came from, number one. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, things like critical race theory and white privilege, to me, that's look like looking out the side window rather than focusing on what you're trying to achieve in life. And I, I speak from personal experience. And once again, I go back to the fact that I was taught just to focus on what you wanted to get out of life and what you need to do to get there. And, and this is getting into the critical race theory, and I, I, I'm against it. I, and I, I call it everything from silly and, and everything. Not that I don't respect what we've been through and what we've suffered as people, but to me, once again, perspective, attitude, and how you react and I think uh, we already talked about the achievement gap. Well, our children aren't, aren't e don't even know how to read, write, uh, arithmetic, the three R's we call it. And I tell everyone, and, and it's true, the saddest story I've ever come across in education is this beautiful young uh, uh, black girl in the ninth grade reading at a first grade level. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just a distraction. And I might even be uh, tempted to call it a scam. You come to me and talk to me about critical race theory when our children can read, our children can write. When they graduate from high school, they're reading and writing at the grade level. Then you can come and talk to me about this other things that you're talking about. Your job is to teach our kids the skill that they need to be successful in life. And I think critical race theory might uh, be preparing them to be protesters. But prepare them to be engineers and physicists and, and mechanics and carpenters and stuff. And so the critical race theory is just an excuse. It, it, it's another built-in excuse when our children don't uh, succeed successfully in, in, in K through 12. And really, when our children graduate from high school, they should be motivated to go on to post-secondary education or motivated to start their own business or whatever. So until you get there, 
I don't want no school official talking to me about no critical race theory when my children cannot read and write and communicate. So that's where I am on that. And I think it's another scam that they're getting ready to run on us. And I've been upfront about it and people can take it for what it's worth. So a uh, couple other quick things and we're winding down here. In fact, uh, I wanted to talk to you about the schools and, and COVID and all that stuff. Uh, our children uh, started out far behind and this whole no schools allowed open and online learning which is not serving us well and I read somewhere that you into I think you said data uh, what's the other words you use I, I really like a uh, cutting edge of data policy and philanthropy and I like that <laughs> uh, and here's the thing uh, 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 issue I have with those policies is that when I go out and read the data I see that uh, uh, young people in K through 12 have almost a 0% chance of catching it or, or dying from it. They are, and especially the younger kids have a very low percentage of passing on. So I never really understood this whole thing of shutting all the schools down. And, and then again, when you get, it's like when you get vaccinated, you still, uh, it, it seems sound like vaccination doesn't do any good because you still got to be scared and worried. Uh, it sounds like to me that if you've had it and gotten over it, and, and I mean, for all of human history, nature has basically uh, uh, vaccinated us and, and, and taught our immune system to stop. And, and now it, it, you would think that if you already had the disease and gotten over it, you're, you got a certain amount of immunity to it and you're not passing it on. And, but I see that the schools, they're still hesitant to open the schools. Just briefly, take about a minute and tell me what you think about uh, what's been going on with these school closing and what it, uh, it's setting our children even farther behind. And I think it's totally unnecessary, but I'm willing to change my mind and I'm always willing to change my mind and to be proven wrong on anything I say. So say either agree with me or say something to change my mind or whatever you want to say about that particular issue, Tiffany. I, this COVID thing is baffling me. Um, Supposedly our numbers are up just as much as they were when we had to be closed, but yet we're open and, and running. And I think it's like you said, so many people have had it. Um, this vaccination thing, the, the original vaccinated people now have to have a booster shot. Like, um, and I know I talked to parents, um, private institutions did not close like um notre dame was still open all the catholic parochial schools they stayed open through COVID. so and, and they seem to be fine um i was trying i was trying to wrap my head around that um distance learning was real again I'm, I'm always looking you lost a classroom culture positive thing I saw with distance learning is all of a sudden you had individual thinkers coming at you. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a positive thing. Um, but you did lose a classroom culture um, when you were on a topic. And then and it's showing in test scores. So scores are way down and um, kids were playing video games. That's just Parents are thinking they're online. That you know, oh, they're quiet. Oh, that, so that was that was tough, very hard. Um, so 
the whole COVID thing frustrates me and baffles me. I did get it. Mm-hmm. And um, I was really mad to get it. I was mad to quarantine. Um, now I'm glad I had it. Like you said, the antibodies. And there's actually Science 37 is doing a test study on antibodies to find out, do you really need to be vaccinated if you did have it? Right. Um, so there's just so much unknown there. So I don't have anything to sway. Um, I don't think we need to close. If, if the city's not closed, the numbers are just where they were. Now it's Delta. Right. Um, this doctor tried to explain it to me. It's like having a, a telephone number and the vaccination is the area code. Like she was <laughs> trying to explain that. And like, well, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. No, it that doesn't. Was, <laughs> no, and that was before Delta. And they didn't know about Delta when they made the vaccination. So so I'm, I'm frustrated by the whole thing. Yeah. And it's unknown. You know, we're fighting over masks. Now we're fighting over vaccinations. And there's no proof of any of it. Well, a couple of things, and we we got to get going here in a little bit. Uh, I and you said you're glad you got it. My my uh, attitude all along: let me get it and get it over with, and get my antibodies and immunity and move on with my life. And I know a lot of people don't that, but I'm like you though. I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of reading. In fact. I'm not even getting into the media. They just give me yeah. subject areas right. to read up on. I don't pay attention <laughs> to anything they say. Uh, no, so, no, so that was my a- attitude. And then uh, on the school opening, look, we got teachers afraid to go into the classroom. The data shows that uh, people in certain age groups, young people are very low risk. And these same teachers going to Costco, going to bars, going to all kinds of other places, but they're afraid to go in the classroom. And I could go on and on about that. So uh, I'm going to have to have you back on. You've been very inspirational. I think uh, I love people who just overcome. And like I say, just tenacity. I don't like people blaming the world for why they didn't achieve. And uh, it's unfair. And uh, to be honest, privilege and all that stuff. I just let's just go out and do it. And I got examples of young men and women that I've, I've put that attitude in and they're doing very well and I want to do it in everyone. So thank you very much. I always give uh, our guests a chance to leave our audience with a positive message because uh, we have to stay positive and we have to uh, look, keep looking in the mirror at what we're doing instead of uh, around the room and out the window at what other people are doing and what the world is like. Uh, that is not going to change. And I'm just blessed that the people that raised me, and I keep giving them all the credit, put an attitude in me. Uh, look, don't worry about it. I don't even want to hear all that stuff. What I want to hear about is what time you're getting up, who you're hanging out with, the choices you're making in life, whether or not you're doing your homework. Those are the type of things that I want to talk about. And that's the adults that I talk to, except Right now, our young children uh, with the internet, TV, not having uh, two parents in the home, they're hearing about their victims and and how the world is unfair and what happened 400 years ago and blah, blah, blah. And I'm seeing the impact that it's having on our children. But I will give you a chance to clean up (laughs) everything I just said and leave our audience with a 
very positive message. And thank you very much for coming on, Tiffany. But leave our audience with a positive message. Thank you. And I guess I guess I'm just gonna go simple. Where there's a will, there's a way. That has been my motto since I was a child. I spent hours in the library, and I feel that you can conquer whatever you want. You just don't stop. You just keep going. And and positivity is the key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Positive mm-hmm. brings positive. Yes. So thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to have you back on. I promise that uh, we're going to talk some more about some other issues. We'll talk a little bit more about the Minnesota Parent Union. I think I heard somewhere you requested a meeting with the governor and was turned down and all those different type of things. So we didn't get a chance to touch on all the details that I would have wanted to. But you have been wonderful. You're an example of the glue. I call it the glue that's holding this community together. Uh, and we really appreciate your effort. And we'll talk about your children the next time, too, and what they're doing. Uh, because at the end of the day, and I tell everyone, when you have children, if you don't change the way you look at life, if you don't change your behavior, uh, then you really don't appreciate your role and the importance of it. And as Jackie Kennedy uh, NASA said, if you fail at that, nothing else really matters. And I like to get to the point where we as a community, like the community I grew up in, and you knew it, put our children first, not our philosophy, not our politics, not our ideals. The number one important thing are the children. So thank you very much, Tiffany. Go grab a bite to eat. I really enjoyed this. And I will follow up and we'll be in in dialogue uh, uh, over time here. Thank you very much. I can't wait. Thank you. I can't wait either. Thank you very much.